0: Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 31, Attila cometh. Last time, we went around the Roman Empire and caught up with what was going on in various sectors that were complicating things in Ravenna and for our Visigoths in Toulouse. This week, we are going to look at the events in the 430s and 440s that will take us to the famous battle of the Catalonian Plains. So, a quick review. It is the mid-430s. The Visigoths are flexing their strength in southern and southeastern Gaul. The Vandals have left Hispania for Africa and are working through a tentative peace with the Romans that will soon fall apart. The Huns will become even more active during this time as they begin their historic campaign that will bring together many of our players in the story into one famous battle. So, let's check in on the Vandals. 435, they made a peace with Rome so the Empire could deal with other issues, like the Visigoths. In reality, there were not many resources to redirect toward the Goths, and essentially, the still-under-Roman-control African provinces just bought themselves a slight reprieve from the Vandals. Fighting would be initiated again by the Vandals in 439. In August of that year, they would take Hippo by siege and make it their capital. Uh, A short aside here. Back in 430, the Vandals had laid siege to the city during that campaign. St. Augustine, who we mentioned back during the Sack of Rome episode as the author of the City of God, an influential Christian theologian, is said to have performed one of his miracles and also would have died during this siege. Okay, so back to our story. The Vandals would go on to capture Carthage on October 19th, 439. In 440, the Vandals would be attacking Sicily and making the Romans even more nervous. By 442, all the northern African provinces would be controlled by the Vandals to some degree, from the Atlantic to Tripolitania in modern day western Libya. The complete loss of these rich Roman provinces would hurt the prestige and, the, of course, the purse of the empire. But the biggest hit would be to the stomachs of Italy. The grain crops would be halted momentarily during this war period as the Vandals conquered Carthage and the rest of the fertile land of the African provinces. The Romans and Vandals would come to an agreement that would enable Italy to buy grain shipments still. But, of course, Italy would be losing the revenue from taxes. All right, so moving on to internal Roman issues. In the 430s, there is a civil war between Aetius and Bonifacius over power in Ravenna they will fight the Battle of Rimini in 432 of which the latter wins Aetius flees Roman territory and goes to the Huns north of the Danube for refuge which this makes sense because Aetius spent his youth in the court of the Huns as a hostage and had many relationships that were strong amongst important Hunnic leaders another result of the battle is that Bonifacius was mortally wounded and his son-in-law, Sebastianus, would take over as Magister Militum. Aetius gets an army of Huns from Rua, Attila the Huns' uncle and current ruler of the Huns, and returns to Italy to take on Sebastianus. Sebastianus is deposed quickly when word of Aetius' Hunnic army is on the move. The army does not even need to fight the Romans to depose Sebastianus as powers within Ravenna took care of this for them. Aetius then marries Peligia, Sebastianus' mother-in-law, and the dead Bonifacius' widow. Let's shift gears to the Grothungi or the future Ostrogoths, and find out what's going on with them. So we all know that the Huns came on the scene with the Goths in the mid to late 300 ADs from our earlier episodes. We also know that they seem to have been the primary reason for the mass movement of barbarians from the Pontic Steppe and north of the Danube in general into the Roman Empire during the migration period. After being subjugated by the Huns sometime in the 4th century, the Grithungi would be led by the the Amal dynasty, subjugated by various Hunnic leaders, though. Huns generally had a light hand after conquering their subjects in regards to administration. The Hunnic Empire seemed to have been made up of people that typically ruled themselves, but paid heavy stipends to the leadership. As long as they paid and fought when called upon, the Huns would let them tend to their own interests and responsibilities. The arrangement certainly was not a harmonious one, and that is highlighted by several high-profile cases. Guinness in the year 400, after his failed rebellion against Rome and his temporary occupation of Constantinople, he returned to his Gothic roots north of the Danube, or there he was welcomed at first, in some capacity at least, attracting a following until he was opposed by Olden, the Hunnic ruler at the time. He was apparently too much of a threat to the Hunnic leader, so he was defeated in battle and had his head sent back to Constantinople. Radagaisus's invasion of Italy was a case of the Goth rebelling against the Hunnic leaders, back in 406 so let's talk the Grithungi rulers you may remember way back at the beginning when we spoke about the Huns for the first time coming onto the scene they were pushing the Grithungi into Turingi territory well the rulers of the Grithungi then as they are now are part of the Amal family Erminaric was the leader when the Huns came back in the 370s, followed by several other leaders who all perished at the hands of, or because of, the Huns. Alatheus and Safrax led several thousand Grithungi, including the young son of Vithamir, named Vithikaris, into the Roman Empire, and would join forces with Fritigern prior to the Battle of Adrianople. They would later become part of the Visigoths that we talk about in Toulouse. Part of the family stayed in the Pontic steppe and subjugated themselves to the Huns. But as was previously mentioned, the Hunnic political structure allowed for local control still while being subservient to the leaders. So from... 376 CE to about 451 CE, we don't really have any reliable source for information about the Grithungae or their leaders. And what we have been told is what we can pick up through other things and other sources about them. We do get some information about someone in 447, though, named who who is the son of Vandalirius, and became King of the Grothungi in four forty seven CE. He would go on to rule for twenty three years and create what we would go on to call the Ostrogoths. Now that brings us to the Huns. I want to review some of the Hunnic interactions that have been important to our story so far that we haven't already covered in this episode. So we already talked about how the Huns started much of the migration period, but the role as mercenaries or allies of and against the Romans will be what we want to look at here. We have talked before about how the Hunnic leader, Olden, had many interactions both against the Romans, working with them during the early 400s, and this type of relationship would continue for the next 50 years. In 425, during the usurpation of John or Joannis, Aetius went to the lands ruled by the Huns just north of the Danube to request help from them in the Civil War. He returned just days after the defeat of John, and therefore did not need the army of the Huns that accompanied him, which had been estimated to be in the tens of thousands. The Huns, not getting the chance to fight and plunder as was probably promised, had to be bribed to go back to their lands north of the Danube. This one instance goes to show the complex relationship between the Huns and the Romans. In 432, Bonifacius, his son-in-law Sebastianus, and Gala Placidia defeated Aetius in the previously mentioned Civil War battle at Rimini, but Bonifacius died. Aetius then went to the Huns again to ask for help. The Hunnic ruler agreed to help him, but Sebastianus was deposed By the time Aetius got back to Italy and Galla Placidia sent home the Visigoths that were going to face the Huns back to their home in southern Gaul. So, So once again, the Huns needed to be coaxed back into their lands without destroying Roman lands. Since they did not get to loot and plunder as was probably promised. So it is also true that the Huns raided into the Roman Empire, even taking and holding some towns in the Balkans for short periods of time, but generally just for plundering and for capturing slaves. It is also true, though, that the Huns, or certain portions of the Huns, were also used as mercenaries or allies of some sort of the Romans to fight in the first half of the 5th century, against the Burgundians, the Vandals, the Sueves, and peasant revolts, and also, of course, against our Visigoths. In the year 434, the man who will strike fear in many people for eternity, Attila comes into power for the Huns. He will be a dual leader with his older brother, Bleda, or Buddha, after their uncle Rua dies. They would rule together for 11 years until Bleda tried to kill Attila and failed, or Attila just wanted Bleda out of the picture and killed him. Either way, Attila becomes the sole leader of the Huns in 445. During their joint reign, they had rumbled through Illyria, Moesia, Thrace, and even reached the walls of Constantinople. The Eastern Roman Empire paid high prices for peace, and the Huns would go away. In the late 430s, we think, the Huns directed their energies to invading the Sassanid Empire through the Caucasus Mountains. This is the same route that they had used to invade Anatolia and Syria in the 390s to raid the Eastern Roman Empire. I'll include a map of the 390s to uh, help give us some perspective here. This time, though, they would not be very successful. The Sassanids would actually defeat the Huns in a large battle in Armenia, and this would change the course of the Huns' attacks, turning them back around to redirect their attentions towards Europe. Unfortunately, there are no real details of this battle or much on this campaign. Certainly, this would be a fascinating study to find out details about this war and the defeat of the Huns just prior to the key battles of the Huns and the Romans. That brings us to the Huns' interactions with the Romans in the 440s, which will lead us to the Great Battle at the Catalonian Plains of 451. The Huns campaigned against the Eastern Romans several times in the 440s and would reach a peace deal with them in 450 that would create the first domino for a series of incredible events that would have an effect on all of our barbarians throughout the Roman Empire. It is reported that the Huns concluded a peace deal with the Eastern Empire in 450 because Attila was planning an invasion of the Western Empire. A secure southern and eastern border for the Huns would enable them to easily find a path to invade vulnerable Western Europe and expand their influence, wealth, and prestige. The reasons for the invasion of the West versus the East have been the center of speculation for 1,500 years. The primary reason for the West is the most salacious. Honoria, the sister of Valentinian III and daughter of Placidia, had become pregnant from a man named Eugenius. So, Honoria's baby daddy seems to have been a lower born merchant or business manager. The emperor's court then whisked Honoria out of public life, as was done for much of history during an unplanned pregnancy, and had Eugenius executed. Honoria's hand in marriage was then promised to a dull senator named Herculaneus. So, the story goes that Honoria, incredibly unhappy with these developments, wrote Attila for help. There is some confusion as to whether she explicitly promised herself in marriage to Attila, whether she is included in the letter a ring or her brooch, but there isn't any real confusion on what Attila was saying. He was claiming that Honoria asked him for marriage. That being said, this is a, a strange story because Honoria is presumably going to be located in Italy, or at least somewhere close, but the Huns invade Gaul, nowhere near the bride to be. Other pretexts for the invasion include that Attila had backed another ruler of the Ripuarian Franks, who were residing in northeastern Gaul at this time, and the Romans had backed another one. Also, Attila had provided safety and shelter for an escaped leader of an ill-fated rebellion in northwestern Gaul in 448. Additionally, it is said that Gaiseric, king of the Vandals, who were in control of the key African provinces, had contacted Attila urging the Huns to attack the Western Empire. This would help secure the Vandal position, and in return the Vandals would presumably offer some payment. The Romans at this time were planning on trying to somehow take back portions of or all of the Vandal holdings. And additionally, the Huns were supposedly going to attack the Visigoths as an ally of the Romans in general, or... The Huns were going to team up with the Visigoths in Toulouse to bring down the Western Empire. Whatever the impetus for the invasion, it would create an existential crisis for the empire. The invasion path would take them from what is today the Hungarian plain, west along the Danube River, entering Gaul across the river at Koblenz. The Hunnic Empire's forces would pour into Gaul, estimated at 500,000 warriors by Jordanus, which certainly is too large, but a huge force surely came with Attila. All the players in the West, including their Visigoths, would be getting mighty nervous right now, which is where we will leave off for this time. Next time, the Battle of the Catalonian Plains. So some of the sources used for this episode include... Uh, a couple new ones The World of the Huns by Otto J. Manchin Heathen, The Ostrogoths by Thomas Burns, The Goths and Romans 332 to 489 by Peter Heather, and of course several other sources that have been used throughout. If you like the show, please give a review on iTunes, Podbean, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews, as many of you already know, have a real impact on who can hear this actual podcast check out the history of barbarians twitter account and facebook pages for more information and resources about our barbarians including several images associated with this week's episode a big thank you for listening and i will see you next time